Hello and welcome to all of our listeners to this episode of The Real World, where we will be answering some of the unanswered questions raised in our previous podcast on the ban on the production of fossil fueled vehicles and its implication on the real estate market. I am today joined by Steve Loveridge, a senior consultant with over 40 years experience in the electricity distribution industry, who has agreed to discuss this particular question of how it could affect the national and local grids in finer detail. Steve, thank you so much for joining me here today. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Hannah. How are you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. I'm, I have to say how delighted I am that you're here appearing on the show and how much I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say on the topic. Um, but to get started, would you mind telling me a little bit more about yourself and your background, if you wouldn't mind? Okay, thanks, Hannah. Well, my name's Steve Loveridge. I'm an electrical engineer. Uh, with um, 40 years of experience in the electricity distribution industry Um, and uh, I've done most things through the industry you know engineering on underground cables overhead lines and substations uh, management I managed the power network in Somerset and I spent 15 years as head of safety and training for a very large distribution network operator now left that and I'm a senior consultant working on various projects around the place. Perfect. So to get started and to really understand why this will implicate the grid in such a massive way, I think that the first place for us to start would be for you to tell me how power is distributed throughout our country, if you wouldn't mind talking me through the basics. I mean, I think the first the first place to start with this is I think it's useful to go through how electricity actually works, because not many people in my experience they understand what volts and amps and all they, they know the term volts and amps and watts and that sort of stuff, but nobody really understands what they mean. Let's start off with, rather than talking about electricity, I'd like to use the analogy of, of water, if I may, because everybody can see water and everybody come, water is part of people's everyday life. So let's use the analogy of water first. Now, if you, if you have a water supply to your house, there are three main things about water that you need to know. Okay, the first thing that you need to know is something called the water pressure. You can, you can, I'm sure you can picture water pressure because it's, that's the force with which the water comes out of your taps. And there are ways of adjusting the pressure to suit various um, applications. So with your water in your house, you might like a really powerful shower. So you have a power shower fitted. So the water pressure coming out of the head of your power shower is higher than the water pressure coming out of your taps. So water pressure can be adjusted to suit the application that you're using. Yeah, Your jet washer works brilliantly at getting the mud off your car, but if you tried to use the jet washer to fill your bath up, the water would go everywhere, wouldn't it? Yeah, so there's an appropriate water pressure for the application. Now, electricity is just the same as that, in effect. It's it's just that instead of using the term pressure, we use the term voltage. So the higher the voltage an electricity supply is, the more pressure there is behind the electricity coming down the wires. And that is, bizarrely, there whether or not you have the electricity on or not, in just the same way as there's water pressure in your taps, whether they're flowing or not. Does that make sense? Yes, I'm with you so far. So the statutory voltage for domestic electricity in this country is 230 volts. 
everybody thinks it's 240. It's actually 230 because we amalgamated with the EU a few years ago, but it's 230 volts. And, and you can have, that's anywhere between 216 volts and 252 volts. So that's the first thing. Although the houses, domestic properties are supplied at 230 volts, not every appliance in the house is suited to work at 230 volts. And to give you an example of that, your laptop that you're seeing in front of now runs at 12 volts. So it, it will withstand a, a, an electrical pressure of 12 volts. That's why you have a transformer that you plug it into the wall with. And it's because that's a low power device that will handle 12 volts. There's no point in putting 230 volt insulated cables into it when it will work perfectly adequately on 12 volts. So if you've got the concept of voltage being analogous to water pressure, I gave the example of filling up a bath with a jet washer is clearly nonsense because the water would go everywhere. But the, the other problem with trying to fill a bath up with a jet washer is the issue of the flow of water because a jet washer doesn't actually deliver much water. Although it delivers water at high pressure, it would take you forever to fill the bath up because it's, it's a low water flow device. So you, you, have the, you have various devices or various water appliances around the house that some of which need a certain pressure with high flow because you need more water coming out of the bath taps than you do out of the bathroom sink. So water pipes are designed to have a certain wall thickness to withstand water pressure and a certain size of hole to deliver a certain flow. Now electricity cables are exactly the same except that the electricity cables are designed such that the insulation around the cables withstands the voltage. And then the amount of electrical flow that you get down, the number of amps, is determined by the size of the copper in the center of the cable. So if you've got the concept of voltage and current now, you don't actually pay for water if you're on a water meter. You don't actually pay for your water in terms of either flow or current. You pay for volumes of water, cubic meters of water. And the, the volume of water that is delivered is actually the pressure multiplied by the flow. In exactly the same way, you don't pay your electricity supplier for a given voltage or a given current, you pay for the power that you use. And that is the volts times the amps, the voltage times the current and the unit of power is a watt yeah now so just jumping aside one because a watt is a volt times an amp sometimes in the industry you will see that you sometimes referred to as a watt or sometimes referred to as a volt amp watt and a volt amp for the purposes of this are exactly the same thing now to put that into context a typical kettle might be 2000 watts. And because a watt is a volt times an amp, and the voltage of a house is about 230 volts, let's just say for argument's sake, it's 250 at the upper end of the limit, then a kettle will take 
2000 divided by 250, which is eight amps of current. Yeah. And that is why sockets in the UK have a 13 amp fuse in them, because that, will, that fuse will allow 13 amps of current to flow. And any more than 13 amps, it will blow because you've overloaded the circuit. And that's why a kettle works, because it's only drawing eight amps. Now, that's just one kettle. If you're talking about a lot of electricity, you start ending up with lots of noughts on the end. So they don't talk about 2000 watts. They use this term a kilowatt, where a kilowatt is a thousand watt. And they, the electricity suppliers in this country charge for electricity in terms in a unit called kilowatt hours, which is how many kilowatts you've had flowing into your home for how long. Now, to put that into context, your average four bedroomed, three or four bedroom gas heated house will take about one and a half kilowatts maximum. So if you have 100 houses on, a, on an estate, that's about 150 kilowatts of load maximum. It might be a lot lower than that at night. It might be a lot lower than that when they go out to work in the morning. That maximum might occur, might be a bit more than that, but it, it might occur during halftime in a European football cup final. And that's what the system is generally designed to do. Okay. Now, that sort of load can be supplied with cables that are at 230 volts, okay? Because the, the current flow down the cables into that housing estate of 100 houses can be handled easily by aluminium or copper conductors, cables, wires in an underground cable at 230 volts. But if you get much more than that, you start to say, well, actually, just like the water companies say, well, we can't move water around at low voltage in huge volumes. If you want to supply much more than that, you have to increase the pressure, just like you have a high pressure water main or a high pressure gas main or whatever. If you want to deliver power to a large number of properties or factories or businesses, you have to do that at, if you want to deliver the water, you deliver it at high pressure. If you want it with electricity, you deliver it at higher voltage. And that's done at 11,000 volts in the UK. So it's basically 40 times the voltage in your homes is the voltage at which distribution companies in the UK move power around the countryside between villages and within towns. Okay, so, so it's rather like if you can imagine the 230 volt system as being your driveway and the lane leading to your house, yeah, the 11 kV network, the 11,000 volt network is akin to the B roads that link towns and villages together. Then if you take a town like Taunton, where we are, you get to a point where actually you can't deliver the power, the power to a, a town the size of Taunton at 11,000 volts because you need too much copper. Or So you up the voltage again to 33,000 volts. So it goes up by a factor of three again. So I'm starting to wonder what a motorway looks like at this point. There's an analogy in the electricity network and the, the analogy to the A303 on the power network is 132,000 volts, which is very high. And then you, you've hit the nail on the head with the motorway. And the motorway analogy is the national grid 
on the power network, and that's 400,000 volts. And the point about this is, is that because the power you're delivering is the volts times the amps, generally it's a balance for the power companies. It's a balance of how you deliver a set amount of power by balancing the cost of the insulation against the cost of the copper or the aluminium in the cable. And the decision, and I won't go into it here, the decision generally is that you, you try to spend the money on the insulation rather than on the copper. So we like high voltage, low current. So the power system works on the basis that you have power stations dotted around the country and they move power around the country very efficiently using the national grid at 400,000 volts, which is the big pylon lines that you see marching across the countryside, which is analogous to the motorway network. And then in just the same way as if you're driving your car, if you want to get home, you go down the motorway and then you come off at a motorway junction. And that's what they call a grid substation. In a grid substation, the electricity goes through transformers, which reduce the voltage. The electricity comes out at 132,000 volts, which is analogous to the dual carriage with the A303. And you come off the A303 and go onto an A road, which is the 33,000 volts. You come off the A road onto a B road, which is the 11,000 volts. Then you come off the B road onto your country lane up your drive, which is the 230 volt network. Right, and if I've understood this correctly, every time it goes through a transformer, because it's the same power, when one goes down, the other must go up. But you're absolutely right. What happens is that as the power or the electricity goes through a transformer, the transformer drops the voltage, but as a result, the current goes up. So on the input side of a transformer, it's high voltage, low current. And on the output side, it's lower voltage, but higher current. Well, Steve, I have to say that you've put that in a way that is simple enough for me to understand on a practical level. And I have to say the analogy to water, it makes so much more sense when thinking about it that way. As well as being the water system, it's the gas system, it's the traffic system. It's the system of arteries, veins and capillaries in your body. It, it's, it's pressure and flow. So your aorta, which is the main blood vessel flowing, feeding your body, does so at high pressure, high flow. Thank you so much for that, Steve. I, I think now would be a good time for us to move on to discuss how this actually is affected by the introduction of electric vehicles and electric charging points. If you wouldn't mind, could you talk me through how this is all related? Yeah, okay. So voltage is pressure, current is flow, and power is the commodity that everybody wants to use. I said earlier on that um, a house typically, a gas centrally heated house typically takes about one and a half kilowatts. That's one and a half thousand watts. Yeah. Okay. Now, we're, we're here to talk about electric cars in this. So let's now start talking about what an electric car looks like electrically, shall we? Now, an electric car, and I'll take an example. I've just been out and test driven a very nice electric car, which had a 77 kilowatt hour battery in it. Okay, so what that is, is that that if you charged it up with a one kilowatt charger, that would take 77 hours to charge. Okay, so if you put a one kilowatt charger into it, it'll take 77 hours to charge. A standard charger for that car that you can plug into your house is three and a half kilowatts. 
So that will take 77 divided by three and a half, which is about 20 hours. Okay. But the flip side of the equation is that if you wanted to charge that car in half an hour at a motorway service station, it would take 144 kilowatts of charge to charge that car. And that would be the equivalent of 100 houses. Which is the equivalent of 100 houses. Wow, that's actually quite mind-blowing. I'm really surprised at that. This is, this, is, this is the nub of the issue here. Every time you we hear somebody talking about, I want to see a fast charger for a car, that's the equivalent of saying to the electricity companies, we want to add 100 houses to that location. And bearing in mind that in every service station across the country, we're looking at adding a minimum of 20. Right, well, I'm pleased you've asked that question, yeah. Hannah. That's a very good question. Let's just do a few sums here, shall we? Right, and I'll ask you to provide me with the figures. So, so this is, right, okay. Now, what range do you get out of your car when it's full of petrol or diesel? Uh, 500 miles. Okay. The range of this nice 77 kilowatt car that I drove at the weekend is conservatively estimated at between 200 and 250 miles. So my swanky electric car will need charging twice as often as your petrol car will need to be refueled. Now then, remember that how long are you prepared to wait to charge your car? Realistically, half an hour, I'd say. Okay, so half an hour. Yeah, so 30 minutes to charge your car when it's plugged into the charger. But how long does it take you to fill your car up with petrol or diesel? Uh, around five minutes. So it takes you six times longer to charge your electric car than it does to fill up with petrol or diesel. Mm. And your electric car will only go half as far. Well, that means that if it's six times longer, twice as often, you need... 12 times as many electric chargers at motorway service stations than there are petrol pumps. If your petrol pumps are fully utilized, and they're not, this is a worst case situation. Let's take a motorway service station. Let's agree, keep round sound. Say, say there's 10 petrol pumps. You're going to need in the order of 100 high, high speed chargers. To, chart, to, to deal with the load if all petrol and diesel cars went to electric overnight because they, take, they, they occupy the petrol pumps or the fuel charging systems for about 12 times longer than 10, 12 times. This is all fixed roughly in the air. But so that means that you're gonna need 100 fast chargers and each fast charger is 100 houses. So each motorway service station is going to look like, from the electricity network's perspective, is going to look like a city of 10,000 houses. So when people say, and the, the point I'm raising here is that when people say, oh, we'll connect it to the grid and does the grid have capacity? The grid might have capacity, but if you look at your local motorway service station, and I can think of several, we're in the Southwest of England, they aren't in cities and they aren't near the grid, they're in the countryside, okay? Now those, those motorway service stations might have a 200, 300, 400, 500, KVA kilowatt transformer, which is nowhere near adequate. And the cables feeding those motorway service stations are not of the 10,000 house township capacity. 
And then when you add into the problem that most motorway service stations on the M5 here, they have a northbound and a southbound side, you're talking about a motorway service station. Con, con, if you picture that as being 20,000 houses now because of the usage of electric cars, that gives you an idea of the vast amount of investment that's going to be needed to provide electric charging in this country. Steve, thank you so much for running me through the basics on this. I think now I have an understanding of how power is distributed throughout our country, I have a better grasp on how significant this change will really be. And to all of our listeners, please join us for part B, where we will be discussing this matter in further detail. Thank you very much.